Hi, everybody. This is Dan Walker. Welcome to another edition of U.S. Law Radio. In the last few years, there's been major growth in retaliation liability. Employees are really winning a lot of battles out there, and employers are facing greater and greater potential liability. Stephen Leach is a partner at Jones, Skelton, and Hockley in Phoenix, and he's going to talk to us about the latest trends in retaliation liability and how employers can protect themselves. Steve, welcome into U.S. Law Radio. Thank you very much, Dan. Appreciate the opportunity. Steve, you know, one takes a look at some of what you're about to tell us and wonders whether it's even worth being an employer nowadays. You know, that's a great way of looking at it. Employers have to wear so many hats. Uh, Not only are you trying to run a business, make it profitable, but they are justified in feeling like our government, both federal and state, are just really trying to make it hard for them to survive because they keep expanding the opportunities for employees to bring lawsuits. Steve, can you set the table for us? Is life getting easier or more difficult for employers? And it sure sounds like the latter. In terms of changes in employment law lately? Yeah, it's getting harder. There's no question about it. Uh, while the while there are some victories where, empl- where the courts and, and legislature have kind of come down on the side of employers, for the most part, it seems, from those of us who spend our lives defending employers, that the pendulum is swinging the other way and and that we are seeing changes in laws and particular court opinions that are really expanding employer liability. And in cases where a few years ago you'd have felt pretty comfortable that you could defend the case and demonstrate that it was not wrongful termination or there wasn't harassment or no discrimination, now you're really being challenged because the courts seem to be trying to define it, uh, define these things in ways that help employees. So describe for us a little landscape, if you will, the retaliation liability under Title VII. Yeah, and that's one area where we're really seeing an expansion. You know, just to set the table, as you said, Title VII, obviously, if you're a member of a protected class, you cannot be discriminated against, and that includes race, religion, disability, age, gender, national origin. So the retaliation is if you go to your employer and you complain about Title VII discrimination or you complain that somebody else is being harassed under Title VII, the employer then can't turn around and, and take legal action or take employment action against you. And the first we saw a movement of the, the needle in 2006 when, you know, before we could say, well, listen, if somebody was just transferred, let's say, or if somebody's desk was changed or if somebody's hours were changed, that's really not a retaliatory action. That's not what we call an adverse employment action. And you used to get some traction with that. But in 2006, the Supreme Court, United States Supreme Court, came out and said, well, no, we're going to say that if you do any act, if an employer does any act that might dissuade a worker from reporting discrimination or harassment under Title VII, then that's retaliation. So now, if a reasonable worker says, well, yeah, if I know I'm going to get moved to a really dingy, dirty, hole-in-the-wall office, I wouldn't report Title VII harassment, well, then maybe that type of adverse action is grounds for retaliation claims. So first they opened that up. Last year they came up with a new concept of associational retaliation. Previously, the only person, the only employee in question would be the person who was reporting the alleged act. If I reported that you at my employer did something wrong and you took action against me, I had a retaliation claim. Now they're expanding that. Can you give us a real-world example of what that means? In a case called Thompson v. North American Stainless, In fact, a woman reported that she thought that there was some harassment or discrimination going on, and the company later terminated her fiancé. Now, previously, we would have said that's not retaliation under Title VII because the person making the report was not the person who suffered the adverse action. 
the Supreme Court disagreed and said that, no, if you're in the zone of interest, you may have a retaliation claim. So now you have to not only be concerned about taking action against a person who may have reported some Title VII harassment or discrimination, now you have to worry about taking any action against anyone who they're associated with who might be an employee. So that changes things drastically in terms of who now can bring a retaliation claim. Now, that term you used earlier, the zone of interest, is that a relatively new concept? Sure, it is. It's a relatively new concept, and and they, and they kind of did an interesting thing. Uh, you know, the Supreme Court said, yes, in this case, we think that there, there's grounds for retaliation claim because you had a termination of a fiancé. But they said, we're not going to define who is in the zone of interest. And in fact, they came up with a two-part test. They said, well, we're going to say that if it's just minor action against someone who has a mere acquaintance, mild reprisal against a mere acquaintance, well, that's probably not enough to come within the zone of interest. But if you have a firing of a close family member, well, that's almost always enough. So that means you have to look at not only what adverse action was taken against the person, but also the nature of the relationship and who knows where in between a particular case may fall. Zone of interest. It pays more if you're an employer to stay within the cone of silence. Yes. And then what we're running into is, of course, employees are getting more sophisticated. So employees understand what what's out there in terms of ways to protect them. And what you often see, of course, if an employee sees the writing on the wall, maybe they see that there might be a reduction of force coming. Maybe they see that their performance isn't very good and they're probably going to get fired. Well, what's a great way to try to cause your your employer to step back and wonder if they should get rid of you? Make a claim. Say, hey, I've been harassed. Or say, I know somebody else who's been harassed or discriminated against. And now that, that causes the employer to freeze up to wonder, well, oh gosh, now they're protected by retaliation. Or maybe now, hey, this guy's fiance or this guy's brother reported. So even though it's this person's a really bad employee and we have a ton of legitimate reasons for getting rid of them, Gosh, now we've got to be worried that they could file suit against us. And you've got a very pro-employee EEOC who oftentimes seems very willing to take a, a somewhat liberal, if not completely liberal, view on these things. So, again, it goes back to our first premise. It's, it's not easy being an employer these days. Yeah, it sure isn't. In fact, are you seeing a trend out there lately, Steve? Well, there's no question last year that claims filed before the EEOC was an all-time high. More and more employees are recognizing that they can seek protection through the EEOC. And, of course, there's legitimate claims out there. There's no question about that. But there are also a lot of claims that aren't legitimate that cause employers to have to expend a lot of money to investigate and defend those claims and doesn't really cost the employee much to go walk down to an EEOC office and fill out a charge form. Do you have any good common sense advice for employers out there who might be listening and who might be a little tone deaf to the situation? What can we do to protect ourselves? You want to document. You want to make sure that if you have legitimate non-discriminatory reasons to take any employment action against employee, make sure that it's documented. Make sure that you're developing a history. If it's performance, you know, let's make sure that we can track that over a period of time this person wasn't performing well. When there are meetings where this person is being evaluated and counseled that their performance is not up to snuff, make sure those are documented so that when you when you make the decision that, hey, we're going to let this person go for legitimate non-discriminatory reasons, you can then, if they run down to the EEOC and say, hey, it was because of retaliation or harassment or discrimination, you can say, no, it wasn't. 
And here is a very objectively demonstrated history of poor performance that give us a reason to let this person go. And to me, that's the best thing you can do. There's a lot of things that employers can do, and, and I would say primarily give this some thought. Use risk management techniques to structure strategies for dealing with employees. Involve your attorneys. Involve your human resources professionals. Give it some thought because it isn't just as easy as it used to be. You can't just walk up and say, you're fired, because you may find out that that decision is going to cost you in the long run if you haven't given it some thought. Is there a resource we can tap to stay on top of all this? Well, I mean, you know, that's one thing, the U.S. law with our various uh, publications. You can go on the website, you can get on distribution lists, and there's always uh, nuts and bolts advice coming out, giving people notice that changes in the law are coming. So U.S. law gives employers a great resource to stay abreast of these issues and to be better prepared as the landscape changes to be ahead of that change. Stephen Leach, thank you so much for your perspective on employee retaliation. We appreciate you joining us here on U.S. Law Radio. Love to do it. Again, hope we have the chance. Thank you very much for the opportunity. That's it, folks. We are out of time. U.S. Law Radio is produced by Roger Yaffe. Send your comments and show ideas his way because he loves to hear from you. This edition of U.S. Law Radio has been brought to you by SEA Limited, forensic engineering and origin cause experts working nationwide since 1970, and by Ringler Associates. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided injured parties and their attorneys with the finest structured settlement services. This is Dan Walker. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time for another brand-new edition of U.S. Law Radio. U.S. Law Radio.